0: as I tried to say, with modernity and technology, and then the belief in God goes away. That is not the case, there's no corollary in that. As a matter of fact, if you go back 3,000 years, you would think, well of course, everyone believed in God then. Well these are words from 3,000 years ago in Psalm chapter 14, verse one, that talks about people who affirm, even in their heart, they believe it, to the core of who they are, in their thinking. They think there's no God. Now of course the Bible's uh, being a bit dismissive and disparaging about those folks, but there's a statement of atheism or Psalm 10, 4. And the pride of his face, here's a little diagnostic, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. So again, I'm just trying to make the point that atheism has always been, and the denial of the belief in God has always been present in a minority of the population. Psalm 94, 7 through 9, they say, the Lord does not see Yahweh does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive, whatever's out there, there's not a personal sense of connection to the universe, and of course, the response to that is, understand, O dullest to the people, fools, again, not a kindly uh, depiction of those who do not affirm God or theism, when will you be wise, he who planted the ear, does he not hear, he who formed the eye, does he not see? So again, if you get active in sharing your faith, you're going to find that most people believe in God, though you're going to run into those that say they don't. I'm trying to challenge you to dig down a little deeper and to recognize that most people have some concept of God and they seek some kind of transcendent spiritual experience. I think the reason it is so universal is because believing in God is a reasonable assumption, and I use the word assumption advisedly. It is something that people assume. It's something that people uh, don't need proof for, though I think there's evidence for, and it's a rational belief. I'm thinking, and a matter of fact, I'm combining those concepts in this phrase. It is a reasonable assumption, and it's one that's been, I think, so universally kept and held, even though... There's explanations for everything that you might want to have uh, dismissed into the category or the bucket of, well, they must have thought God did that because they didn't have an explanation for it. So what we call the God God of the gaps. We'll talk about that. All I'm saying is that an ultimate being explaining reality is something that has been commonly understood. And most of the people that you run into that you discuss reality with will say that. Now, there's always... Again, there's always folks that are trying to be nonconformist and even I would recommend rebellious against what I think is so widely accepted. You're gonna find people that deny everything that is commonly affirmed. And yet, I'm just trying to say it's been a reasonable assumption in society. And the answer to that is, and I think it's rightly put in people's minds, that answering the question why there is something rather than nothing is what leads us to this reasonable assumption that there must be something out there, something that is an ultimate sense of of cause. Hebrews chapter three, verse four, and you'll even see in our English Bibles it's put in parentheses because it's a parenthetical statement, but in the middle of this discussion uh, about the building of something it says, parenthetically, for every house is built by someone and the builder of all things is God. There's a sense, this categorical sense that there must be some as the philosophers put it some unmoved mover some uncaused cause that is behind all of this there's a million ways to explain that in people's non-christian thinking an unbiblical or extra biblical rationality or logic but most people are are pretty comfortable with the fact there must be something i mean they can sit there in in class, they can be physicists and scientists, as I was just discussing about the university of, of, of Chicago. Uh, you know, I, mean, I can go on and on with stories of people that you would think, well, surely these people are ardent atheists when, in fact, though they traffic in all the theories of uh, origins that you would say are unbiblical, they recognize as I think is a reasonable assumption there 's got to be an unmoved mover or an uncaused cause, which is by definition what we would categorize as God, God who needs no Creator. He needs no origin. He is eternal. He's outside of the creation itself. If you want more on some of this, you can go to Sermon 1451. I should have listed a few more of those, but there's lots on our website to deal with some of the options and cosmology and things that we've tried to deal with, at least on a deeper level, but a fairly understandable and popular level. And books galore to go as deep as you'd like to go. But again, I'm saying we could spin our wheels all night in trying to talk about that 3% in America that would staunchly say, I understand the question and I don't believe it, I'm confident there's no God and I'm saying I don't think that's helpful for our purposes to recognize that most people you talk to are going to believe that every house is built by someone and the builder of all things is God, however they define that, reasonable assumption. Now there are some unpopular alternatives. And I say that because if pressed, this is where people get. That's why a lot of the physicists or even the you know, microbiologist, or whoever it might be that might even be well trained and ardent in defending some kind of origins that wants to explain everything in natural terms uh, still does not want to press their, their philosophy to its logical extreme. In other words, uh, I would put what I'm about to list, a few things here. These are not assumed by most evolutionists. If people are trying to explain origins without God, as was popular, and we reviewed the history of this in our series on bad theology, on that section on the atheist, but if you want to look at what evolutionists believe, they don't want to press reality completely to where the theory um takes them. In other words, to really say, as so often is said, wow, what's wrong with my, there it is. We would say, I think in explaining something regarding origins without God, you might say, well, it's unintended, purposeless, unplanned, and meaningless. But see, as I even mentioned on a weekend not long ago, uh, most people are not existential nihilists. They do not really believe and they don't live like, and they won't even admit when pressed that life and reality is meaningless, unplanned, purposeless, and unintended. They don't live that way, they don't raise their kids that way, they don't teach their kids to do what is right that way, and they would even admit, I believe there's some kind of meaning in life and there is some purpose and plan. They might believe that there's even a a teleos or or an end or a direction to history. Um, So there's a theory that sits there that most people on the UCI campus is going to say, I believe this theory. But there's a disconnect between that and where the alternatives take you if there's no God. That's why over 90%, uh, even on college campuses, would probably say there is God somehow, regardless of how they define that and what kind of latitude they give to defining that. So most evolutionists will describe the method of origins that way, but not the reason. They want to get back to somehow including God and and putting some kind of something, a great spirit, something beyond, some supernatural power, some purposeful something that fits behind the fabric of all their discussions about, you know, super colliders and, and, and you know, Hogs bosons and, or Higgs bosons and, you know, whatever they want to deal with in terms of their belief regarding origins, they're going to try to and and, and eventually, in most cases, say there's some kind of meaning, there's some kind of purpose, there's something, something beyond what happens. They will do something at 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 a funeral, they will say something in the midst of loss or grief or pain that is going to express the fact that they don't want to think that everything is unintended, purposeless, unplanned, and meaningless. All right, and our bookstore will have plenty that can Help you with this, but again, I think we would spend a lot of energy and time, which I, we even have done in the past. That I wonder about the usefulness of it. That's not going to help your conversation with the guy who is there working at your house, or that you hang out with across the mailbox. It's most of that isn't going to be necessary or needed. So we want to find God, and here's our claim. And if you are in tune with apologetic theories regarding evidentialism or classic apologetics or presuppositionalism, I guess this starts to show a little bit of my perspective because our claim basically uh, is twofold. And it starts with this. The assumption that God has, has revealed himself. That God has actually this intended cause, purposeful, meaningful creator has revealed himself, he has explained himself, he has made himself known. And we believe, of course, that the Bible is the record of that revelation. God has not kept himself silent, God has not kept himself hidden, God has in some way created, or has communicated to his creation, here is what you can know about me. He doesn't tell us everything, obviously, and no one claims that, Uh, no reasonable person claims that, no one I know claims that, they claim that he has revealed himself. And that is the claim. All the way back to the common phrases we might use uh, in reflecting, you know, Francis Schaeffer's book, He is There and Not Silent. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, that's the bottom line. There is a God, it's a reasonable assumption, and he has revealed himself. And we can point to the book that we hold up as Christians and say, We believe he's revealed himself here.